Lucas, have you ever taken a picture of a bear? I saw this link <laughs> that you posted. <laughs> I was like, what, what is this thing that he's posting from? X.com, which I still have uh, not updated my Twitter app on my phone because I don't want the icon to not be a blue bird anymore. <laughs> and so I've just been avoiding updating it to the next version. Nice. I, I was also thrown by the X.com link. I don't I don't think of it that way. Right. Yeah, so this is a link uh to what's Patrick's last name? Demadio or something? Tommaso. Tommaso and I you're not even close. Patrick Tommaso's Twitter account. And he found a like a Nikon F two or something, which is just like this fixed lens, simple digital camera. Yeah. Basically equivalent of like what, a twenty three millimeter or something? It, full it, well, frame? No, it, it it has a uh it has a three times optical zoom. Oh, okay. It goes up, it goes up to a hundred millimeter equivalent. <laughs> That's still not very far. <laughs> uh, and then he, he's like, look at these pictures that I found on this thing that I bought at Goodwill or wherever it was. And he posted all these pictures of bears and <laughs> those I, those bears were too close. <laughs> I know that you know, if you go if you go back quite a ways in our back catalog, there's a really funny bit where we talk about a 16 millimeter lens being the appropriate lens for shooting bear photography. Mm-hmm. I, I, <laughs> now that you mentioned it, I remember that. Hilarious! This is actually that. <laughs> I um, how how did that person not like? That's that's seriously dangerous. <laughs> what are they doing, and why are they doing it with that specific camera? <laughs> Unbelievable! Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm not that bold. Like, uh, you know, it's maybe that's, maybe that's my problem. Maybe that's why my photography is not that good. I'm not getting out there, getting close to the bear, getting the shot. I don't, I don't know. That's obviously the answer. <laughs> it's not even a question. You just got to be bolder. Yep. More bold. Yep. Bold Daniel. Become the bear food. Be the bear food. Woof. What else is new? Well, I see this other thing and I kind of want to... Man, I kind of want to talk about this. This has been like on a pre-show topic for a little while. Not yeah. that we have like pre-show topics. We're just warming up. We're just warming up. I don't know if you've ever been like, had like get you get your fingerprints or something for like a badging process. This is a very common occurrence for me just because of my, because of my work. And for some reason, like everywhere that you have to get your photo taken, like at a, like at a, Here's an ident to go. Yeah, they're always, it's always like in a, a strip mall, right? Like, yeah, you're gonna go to a strip mall. You're like, maybe you're gonna get your driver's license photo. Yeah. If you're lucky, they're using a Logitech webcam, and you're standing ten feet away, and they're taking a picture. But if you're extra lucky, they're always shooting on like a Canon 30D with a kit lens. <laughs> Why do like, I use that specifically? I don't know, but they're like stand way over there in this dimly lit office. I'm going to set my ISO to 3200 uh, and I'm going to shoot this thing at F5.6 and it's going to look awful because I'm going to crop in at 200% and here's your photo. <laughs> and I'm just I'm like why? Why why? Have you thought about bringing your own camera for them to use? Oh, they, they just wouldn't. They have their they have their systems and they're just like blasting through people and it just it upsets me. Like why are we still using DSLRs from the 30s? I know. Anyways, that's not what the third, that's Hon- not what the 30D stands for. <laughs> but still, ugh. honestly, a webcam is the right choice for that. That's what they should be using. It's probably a better quality than this <laughs> like 2001 DSLR. Well, uh, easier workflow too. You know, oh, just geez. be plugged in the computer. I mean, it is plugged in the computer. They're like click, click, click. There you go. I just it frustrates me to no end. <laughs> 
these are problems that only frustrate you. Yeah, I'm like, what what are you doing right now? <laughs> Come on. Can you can you squat down a little bit? You're too tall. <laughs> no, also, not something that ever <laughs> happens to me. Funny thing. Yeah, whatever. I just yeah. I was like, I'm frustrated about this. I tell Daniel about it. <laughs> it's, it's not important. All right, a couple little, a few other items on this list. Did you see those patches that Fuji released? And I'm not talking about firmware. <laughs> you sent me the link, and I immediately bought some. <laughs> so they, I saw that on Petapixel, and I knew I needed to show you. They released uh, embroidered patches for all of the film simulations. And so you can get a little patch that says Eterna or Classic Chrome. And I was curious which of those you bought. Yeah, they're not they're not exceedingly little. I think they're like two inch by two inch, That's which a is pretty a good size. Pretty good size patch. Yeah, like your standard patch size. I'm, I don't know. I mean, you know this. I'm like super into patches. Yeah, I get a patch everywhere I go, and I have patches all over my Timbuktu bag and all over my Brevetti bag, and I like patches. Yeah, I think they're a great souvenir, and I'm really into Fujifilm, and this is like straight up my alley. Yeah, I mean, this is the the intersection of everything that makes you, you. Yeah, it's I there it couldn't be a more perfect thing. So uh, I resisted the urge to buy all of them. And I I'm, honestly thought you were going to buy all of them. It's, well, so like right now, so they're like 10 bucks each. And I think they have, what, 12 total? Is that right? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 11 total? Yeah. I should know that by heart. Whatever. And so it'll be like 110 bucks if you bought all, yeah. which is a little, a, little, yeah. a little much for patches, Daniel. It's pretty high, but it's like 80 if you if you buy the buy them all package. Mm-hmm. But if you but in traditional like buggy Fuji fashion, if you put the package for all like the 80 dollar all the patches package in your cart, it checks them out as individual. Oh, really? And so you uh, still can't yeah. buy all of them for less than 130 dollars. Gonna have to wait for patches 5.0 for that. <laughs> So I'm like, this is like super cool because it's like, they're like, oh, it's like film stock and they, it looks like the canisters and it has all the green and whatever. And I love that. But whenever you like zoom in and look at these things, it says ISO Auto 3 3200 yeah, on what, most of them. What's up with that? And then the white balance says white balance auto. If they're film simulations, like what? <laughs> they should have just picked some random ISO value. Yeah, you know, ISO 800, yeah, ISO 400. Wouldn't the ISO be set? On the film stock? It would be. And then, like, wouldn't they be the same thing for the white balance? Like, you would buy daylight white balance film? I think so. Yeah, I mean, not the camera would have that, so. This is, I'm like, come on. It's like they got so close. So And then they made this weird decision. It's like, are these film, like, I guess they're like film simulations. I guess so. Come on. Come on. Seriously. I don't know. That's kind of a a rub for me. I'm not, come on. It didn't stop you from buying them. No, it didn't. But <laughs> I just I feel I feel like a like a poser that I'm shooting my ISO in auto and my Y balance in auto. Yeah, I mean, I'm who like, does that? I mean, come on, and like I guess like ISO like 3200 max where your auto is fine. Like you get decent noise performance at 3200, but like maybe I set it lower. Do you don't know me? Anyways, I, like I said, did I say I bought classic Chrome and Eterna? <laughs> What is the first thing you're going to put one of those patches on? Well, I'm gonna definitely put one of them on my on my Timbuktu bag. Yeah, but I was trying to think like, what is? What should I put these? Uh, if I put one on every piece of camera camera like gear holding something that I know, then everyone will know it's mine. That's true. 
Or you could put it on like a jacket. Like a jean jacket? Yeah. Yeah, that would be perfect. It'd be pretty cool. Very, very hipster, which is exactly who this is for. There for me. That's that's just that's just where we are. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I feel like your other option would be to buy the rest of the set and then basically put them all on a sash like merit badges. <gasps> that would be so cool. <laughs> oh my gosh. I would be like I would be like uh uh, You'd be like that, that kid that, and up. No, I was gonna, well, yeah, that's, that's true. No, that's that's just potato jet. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say I would be like that cat named Joe from the song about about the the cantina down in Mexico. You know, you know what I'm talking about? I Where know he what has you're like, talking he has about. Like I'm the, not giving you the, the, the mustache. I'm not giving and the, you the satisfaction. And the purple, the purple sash, and and all that. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Okay, fine. Whatever. Let's talk about something else. All right. I went. I finally got to see Oppenheimer in seventy millimeter IMAX film. Did it live up to your expectations? No, it was fine. It was fine. Really? I just like, tell me more. I I had a lot of takeaways. I don't think I was as into the movie as everybody else. I thought it was a really good movie, but in like classic Nolan fashion, it just I don't know. Like there was so much packed in. I kind of wish there was maybe like a little more character development or something. But I guess it was fine. I think I think my problem with the movie is that it's like it takes place over from like 19 say like I don't know 35 36 somewhere around there up through like 1950 ish 55 something like that so, okay. you know, it's, it's, 15 or 20 years yeah so. it covers a big span and it's like here's the past and it's in color Here's the future, and it's in black and white. And then here's sometime in the middle of a deposition that's in color, but also sometimes in black and white. So you know, like, which thread it's associated with it, but like, it's one or the other. And so there's these three timelines, and they're all happening, like, intercut with each other of, like, okay, here's a scene here, here's a scene here, and you're jumping around. And then each of those timelines moves forward in time very quickly, especially the first one. And so you're like, in 1935, and the next scene's like 1937, the next scene's like 1939. But there's no context for like what year or when it is. You just have to know that like, well, he was in Germany and now he's in the United States and it's just like later or whatever. And I just felt like that all happened really, really yeah. fast. And they're trying to like build everything up really quickly up to like a certain point of, you know, oh, and the bomb goes off or whatever. And so it's like, it's like racing to make you feel like, you know, they're racing to make the mm-hmm. atomic bomb. And, but because of that, I'm like, this feels like it's just rushing through and I'm having trouble following everything because everybody's mumbling. And if there's like three different timelines and we're just jumping through time and everything's so big. Yeah. This all sounds pretty familiar for Christopher Nolan. It, yeah. It's like right up the middle. It's just, it is 100% a Christopher Nolan movie with all the problems that come with it. But like, also it's fantastic. So like, you know, it's, it's like they shot it in film and they cut it in film. And I don't know if you know this, but whenever you're shooting on an IMAX camera, it sounds like this, but like louder. Yes. And like Nolan doesn't want to do ADR. He wants audio on scene. And so they tried really hard. Like we're using the audio from when we shoot it. And if you're doing like a quiet interior, you can't shoot it on a 70 millimeter IMAX yeah, camera. Yeah, it's too loud. Because it's too loud. Mm. And so there is a lot of the movie that's not in 70 millimeter IMAX. And so it just crops it in. It goes from like covering up the whole screen to black bars. Huh. Okay. And 
it happens in scenes. So you're like watching a scene and it's like IMAX cropped, cropped, IMAX cropped, IMAX, IMAX cropped. That seems kind of distracting. It was so distracting. And so like I'm trying to like keep track of all this and the dancer crazier keeps changing. And I'm like, this is this is just this is just a lot. It's a <laughs> lot. And uh, I was like, kept having to remind myself that I'm watching it on film. I'm like, oh, I should look at the, I should look at the like out of focus areas or the background to see, to look at the noise, just to see what the noise looks like. And there wasn't a lot of noise because it was a super high resolution. Did it remind, but the noise that you could see, did it remind you of your Fuji film camera? Yes, it did. That was the point I was going to bring up. <laughs> was, <laughs> was like, that looks oddly enough like X-Trans. Hmm. Maybe they shot this on Fuji and no one knows. Are you sure you're not being paid <laughs> off? <laughs> I'm just saying, like, the, the noise out of a X-Trans sensor is a little more irregular. This is a very filmic look. It, has this, it just has, like, a filmic look to it. I don't see what the problem is. Anyway. So, you know, it had, like, the texture of film. And that was nice. And the other thing that I noted was, like, if you're shooting on a ginormous IMAX sensor, you have a really low depth of field. Sure. And there just was so much, like... We're going to, let's shoot this, let's shoot this scene. And then like the next 10 scenes with a razor depth of field so that like you can't focus on anything because we focused it and then like the the actor moved and now they're out of focus. Now they're in focus and like the focus field is just moving between their nose and the back of their head. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, like they did an okay job racking it and all is very, you know, not all the scenes are like that. And like, you know, they did it for certain reasons, certain places. It's very, all very intentional, but still. Sometimes I was like, I'm having trouble focusing on this thing because it's enormous. And so like you can really tell when it's not in focus and the aspect ratio keeps changing and I can't keep track of anything. (laughs) Yeah. That sounds like sensory overload. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. It was a lot, but like also it was really, really cool. And I'm happy that I saw it in 70 mil and I feel like I would have been reasonably happy just, just seeing it on my TV at home. (laughs) And I felt bad feeling that, but that's how I felt. Wow. I know. I don't know if you're a true film nerd. Maybe I'm just not. I like I like movies a lot. I like I like things on film. I like what Christopher Nolan does, but I don't know. Just too much of a good thing. I was medium impressed. Medium impressed. I wasn't disappointed, even though it sounds like I was disappointed. <laughs> if you say so. I'm just I, I can now I can I, I can brag to people. Oh, you saw Oppenheimer? Cool. Did you see it in 70 millimeter IMAX? Did you get the little uh, the little souvenir film strip thing? What? No. They didn't even hand those out. That was very frustrating. Man. Just really missed out on this Man, whole experience. I would have loved to have like, oh, that was so cool. <laughs> yeah. All right. We better get the show started. Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Lucas. And we're here today to talk about the gear, software, and techniques we use to shoot photos and video. All right, Lucas, you've got an item on the list here for today's show, and it looks like it's this Sony F65. I don't know anything else about it, but I see it says Super 35, baby. It it does say Super 35, baby. (laughs) Tell me more. It's the real full frame. Okay, so... I know that we just spent 20 minutes talking about Oppenheimer, but I thought maybe we could have another Lucas's movie corner. <laughs> of course, two in one day. Why not? Well, that that didn't count because you hadn't played the starting music, uh-huh, and uh-huh. so that wasn't an official corner. Whereas this, 
as an official corner. They've moved into the realm of official geometry. Yep. Go okay. Ahead. Have you ever heard of the movie Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk? I certainly have not. Is this like halftime at a football game? What kind of halftime are we talking about here? I don't know. I've never seen it. Okay. It's like war stuff or whatever. War stuff. Yeah. Uh, are you familiar with the director Ang Lee? I don't think I am. Okay. He likes he likes doing like he likes pushing technology. Okay. And he makes interesting movies. He made like Life of Pi and Gemini Man and this movie and the the Hulk movie. Okay. I've the heard one of some from, of those. The one from 2003. Yeah. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Okay. Anyways. Cool. This movie came out in like, mm, I don't know, like 2014, 2016, somewhere around there, you know, mid 20 ishes. Mm-hmm. And whenever they, whenever they shot this movie. The goal was to rethink the language of cinema, and like <laughs> that—that's it. <laughs> and boy, did they try! And boy, was everyone not ready for it? And it like totally bombed. So you know, you shoot things in like twenty-four frames per second, and it's the whole you know motion blur, blah blah blah. You know, how are you perceiving things that look in two D and all this stuff? Uh-huh. Right, you gotta like get over that that edge of you know, does it look like motion? Does it not? And like, when does it start? like looking real and when can your eyes discern different things and the frame rate for less of a better term that your eyes can like perceive things is maybe i don't know 100 120 ish somewhere around there like well up there you know it's over 80 sure so like seeing things at you know above 100 frames per second has more a more like you're really really tricking your vision into you know actually does it look real and he got like really into 3D and he's like, how do I make it so that it doesn't look like you're like watching something, but like you're looking through a window, like you're seeing reality. And what they kind of came around on was like, th- like obviously it's got to be 3D, but like all the problems with 3D are like, it all has to be in focus. You have to let the viewer decide what to look at. You can't control it because now they're like, maybe they have like motion issue or like problem with, you know, you forcing the focus in and it, right. it just looks like a like a 3D version of what a normal 2D movie would be. Yeah. And like the same thing with the frame rate. And so they had this idea that they're going to shoot this thing in 4K 120 and deliver it in 4K 120 to theaters in 3D in like 2015. <laughs> that sounds uh, ambitious. It's just, it's just absolutely nuts. And so they use these Sony F65 cameras and what I can't quite figure out is how they shot in 4K with these things at 120 because they can only do uh, 4K at 60 frames per second. Hmm. Um, but somehow they did that and they had to like go through and do the whole thing with like find master primes and like find master primes that actually match well enough so that they can like shoot it in the resolution and the frame rate. And they had to like build custom, uh, what is it called? Uh, custom beam splitters, the mirrors to like split the light between the two, the sensors for the, 3d Jeez. and like with like because they need like certain coding and all this stuff and because like the resolution the frame rate like everything had to be very specific as far as like you could you can like totally tell this person's wearing makeup mm-hmm. and like things that are normally hidden by normal like cinema 24 frames or whatever just like didn't work and they're shooting this thing at like t11 t8 because they want everything to be in focus and like super super sharp and so, like, can you imagine lighting this thing? Yeah, you need so much light. <laughs> You're shooting on Super 35 at, like, T8 at 120 frames per second. Yeah. 
And so like they had to like quadruple the light on this set. Yeah, it's just like man. daylight all the time. This whole idea just sounds really expensive. Yeah, it's crazy. The camera rig in order to shoot all this was over a hundred pounds. <laughs> and so they couldn't like move do camera movements. Everything had to be shot static. And it was just this absolutely insane feat. At the time, there was like one projector that could play 4K 120, like in the US kind of thing. And so like they couldn't even watch or edit. They couldn't like watch the edit when making the movie in 120 4K. <laughs> well, and then like could could theaters even play it? There was very few theaters that could play it. <laughs> None of this sounds worth it. Yeah, and like, yeah. <sighs> It was, I think that they ended up having to like edit it in 60p mm-hmm. because they like, they couldn't even see what they were shooting uh, <laughs> and like they had, a, it's just, it was absolutely insane. Like super, super like cutting edge of technology when they did this thing. It sounds like it would be on the cutting edge. I mean, like if people can't watch it, if you can't edit it, like, is it, is it even worth doing? I don't know. That's... I wish I had looked up how many theaters it actually released in, in this format, but this is like, this is an interesting example of video technology like right on the absolute edge Mm -hmm. and doing something that's like totally different where when you watch it it's like looking at reality as far as like it's in 3d -hmm. they're not forcing what you focus on and all this stuff and what like the downside is is whenever they you watch it in like 24 on a normal tv all the lighting is flat and awful (laughs) and everything's in focus and it looks horrible yeah and it only delivers in its original format which nobody can watch it in because you can't buy a 3d tv anymore (laughs) and you're not going to go see this in a 4k 120 theater because it's like (laughs) so it just it was like it existed for a moment in time and now it's gone which which is similar to the 70 millimeter oppenheimer imax thing Mm -hmm. but like on the totally other side of the perspective (laughs) (laughs) but it's like a director like this is how like the like cinema language should be whatever and or here's my idea of how you know this story should be told and like you got christopher nolan over here with his his 70 millimeter imax and 24 frames per second then you got angley over here that's trying to do everything at 4k 120 3d there's a lot of crazy movies out there it is and i just thought this was a super duper interesting it is yeah from just from like a technology perspective and everything they had to do it's good to see people pushing technology forward it kind of sounds like this is the definition of being ahead of your time Absolutely. Like the tech, the technology really just wasn't there for that. I think but, even now, if something like this released now, I still don't think people are ready for it. I think yeah. the technology is probably caught up enough that maybe you could do this. But man. I think we might see the Apple Vision Pro push this kind of thing forward. I've heard rumors that Apple's been shooting a lot of, uh, I, I, think, I think it was their Apple TV shows. It was either that or MLS games. Maybe it was both. But I heard they were shooting a bunch of stuff with some kind of special camera that looked like it might be able to make like a like VR, like Apple Vision Pro super reality version of some of their content. And so if they're doing that, then like that might be the thing that kind of pushes stuff into more of this like hyper realistic stuff. So I think there's maybe some potential there. I would say that it's possible that the this movie is maybe like the like the Apple Vision Pro is probably the only thing that uh, like a normal person could buy sometime next year mm-hmm. where you could actually see this in what they originally intended. Though I don't think it the eyepieces are on one twenty. Oh, are they? I don't know if they are or not. I, I would assume it, they're like sixty hertz. I don't know if it's been if that's been released. So maybe 
still not even. Yeah. We're still not there. Maybe not. Crazy. It's going to five years from now. Yeah. People are gonna Somebody read. will eventually be able to watch that yep. movie. I think we're like, this was made 10 years ago? <laughs> oh my gosh. Crazy. I was looking for, uh, like, there's one more fact here that I thought was really interesting, and I'm trying to find it in this this document. They did a, this whole, like, write-up in a magazine for this thing. That, that's just really, really interesting. But I think it's a matter of, like, four or five terabytes a day of footage. I was wondering about that, thing. like, what they stored it on, how they recorded it. I mean, that, that is a lot of footage. <laughs> it's, like, so much footage. They did like name drop something about NVIDIA GPUs in here. It's very like promotional, but. Yeah, there's probably a, a limited number of real details there, but I mean, they probably weren't using a Ninja 5 for that. At the Snared Set Data Wrangling Station. I don't know that's what it was called. <laughs> that's what we call it now. <laughs> Yeehaw! <laughs> the system was designed from the ground up. A half a dozen Sony SR PC4 rigs each held 10 gigabit Ethernet cards. And a copy of each card would go on a spinning disk over a 10 gig Ethernet connection. Everything was backed up to LTO tape. <laughs> okay. Anyways, super cool. Oh, here, we, here it is. Uh, on bigger days, that number spiked up to 18 or 19 terabytes. Jeez. Uh, at one point, the camera team was using more than 120 high speed 512 gig cards. On average day, about 100 minutes of stereo footage was generated, which works out to about 8 terabytes. That's a lot of data. <laughs> Dude, it's so much. You need a big Synology to store all that data. I think it was probably like a couple months of shooting, too. So, uh, I mean, they they absolutely hit a petabyte on this project. <laughs> Petapixel will be proud. Okay, that's it. That's my movie corner. Man. Time. Yep. That was a lot. It was a lot. It was a lot. It was only like 10 minutes, Daniel. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's talk about something that's not in theaters. You know what? I don't even want to talk about this next thing. You I want, don't. I wanted to talk about this cute little pixie cam. We're going to talk about that later. Okay. I'm going to move that to next week. Well, what's next? Okay. Uh, so I know that we've slowly over the last few months have been building up a case for you to buy a Panasonic camera. I know that uh, whenever that S1H Mark II, which is probably going to be the camera of the year 2023. Almost certainly. You're going to have a really hard time <laughs> not buying that camera, especially if it's delivered in a box format. Yeah, yeah. And, the, bo- the box format might be what pushes over the edge. Yeah, and so I'm starting to collect a list of all the reasons why you probably need to buy an S1H Mark II whenever it comes out. Okay. Uh, and so there's a few things that have been on that list. Um, one of recent ones is is just how much, you know, we talked about all the Sigma glass and how, mm-hmm. like, if you want the fastest lenses, it's going to be an L-mount. Yep. And so you now you're really just, like, super impressed and absolutely in love yeah. with L-mount. Yep. So check there. Um, they release things in box cameras, which is really good. So mm-hmm. we're really into that. Uh, one of these, you know, the video features for Panasonic, you know, fantastic. Everyone, Everyone's on board with that. Uh, DJI joined the L-mount alliance. And then I don't know if you saw this, but uh, their LiDAR technology you're not going to be able to integrate that onto your Panasonic camera. I saw that. I don't know exactly how it works or what it is. Like, cause that, that's something that's been built into the Ronin 4D. Mm-hmm. So are they making that like a separate unit now? I believe it's like a separate module. Okay. And then you like hot chew it or something. Mm-hmm. And it feeds the LiDAR data in so that it's then used for the autofocus system. Yeah, so, so instead of it using whatever phase, blah, 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 mm-hmm. you can now use 
lasers. So it's not it's not like you put a follow focus motor on there and it does that. It's like it uses the camera's built in like motor. That's the way I or understood the, the, it. Sorry, not the camera. The lens has a built in motor, and I guess it uses that to do like distance based autofocus. Right, which should tech should be faster than whatever like even the face detect. I yeah. would think. Well, it may or just, release it, more accurate. It may be able to give you a more precise thing like depending on what you're trying to do i mean if you because i know on the dji system it's like you can say i want to focus on something 25 feet away and it can just do that and so i guess that's the advantage it gives you yeah so i'm looking at this thing and it's 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 like a little camera that goes on your camera and like it sits in the hot shoe mm-hmm. and then it just uh just plugs right in that's pretty cool and this one looks like it ties into a follow focus on a cinema camera but it does look still. like that because I, I know that was the other use of those things is like if you have a, ma- a fully manual lens and you want to make it autofocus you can do it with that so well pretty neat I'm just saying Daniel the reasons are stacking <laughs> up I do think Panasonic is one of those brands that does well with integrating with other brands mm-hmm. it seems like they're always at the front of like you know like Atomos releases a new recorder and not like has raw capability. And it seems like Panasonic will be like one of the first ones out the gate with that mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So yeah, doesn't, doesn't surprise me to see that. It's all, it's all very true. So mm-hmm. we're putting lasers on the list and I don't know when the next Panasonic event, I feel like it has to happen this fall. It's surprising, honestly, that it hasn't already happened. Cause I mean, the S five was the S five Mark two was announced maybe in like March or so. February or March, because because mm-hmm. the S five two came out almost immediately, and then the S five two X came out probably in like the June time frame, and so it's yeah. I mean, I was I was kind of expecting to see the S one H Mark two by now, and I'm surprised we haven't seen that yet. I'm a little surprised too. Uh, when's the next like big camera show thing? Like, do the do they release cameras like IFMA or whatever it's called? I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know when those uh, when those events are. We should probably know that. Yeah, we probably should. I'm gonna dig into it. Well, we'll see. I know. I'm expect I'm expecting the S1H to to be very similar to a Z9. I think yeah. I I think it's going to have an 8K stacked sensor in it, and then but like Panasonic. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's that's my yeah. guess. It's like it's going to be a, it's going to be a Z9, but Panasonic, which sounds like an amazing camera. Yeah, yeah, it does. I uh, I mean I'm definitely interested. I think it'd be cool to have a dedicated video camera. Have something that I just kept rigged up basically all the time and have some of those assist features that Fuji doesn't have. That'd be, that'd be pretty cool. But I don't know whether I would want a box camera variant or a regular variant just because like box camera seems great for doing a rig, but there are times when you want to shoot video without all that stuff. And I wonder if it would be frustrating to not be able to do that. So are you going to like sell your X-H2S when that happens? Are you going to like sell me your lenses? I can't imagine selling the X-H2S. I, I, I would, I don't know what I would do with my overall camera setup, but I mean, we do so many shoots where we need multiple cameras. I just can't imagine not having that as at least as a B camera. It's it's such a good camera. Just just add add in another one. Yeah, That's, yeah. I like it. It's yeah. good. It's real good. I mean, I've I've done pretty good with Fuji about not investing overly into the ecosystem. You only have like three lenses. Yeah, I, barely. I have, yeah, I have. Three and a half lenses, because I mean, I've got the Pancake Twenty Seven, but that lives on the XT Thirty. Yeah, that's just that's like its own little thing. Yeah, that's its own little thing. And I mean, the thirty mil is basically the only lens I have that feels uh, unnecessary at all. I mean, the other two, like mm-hmm. the the Tamron and the Fuji Fifty to One Forty, I use those all the time for video. Yep. 
I had to like twist your arm to use that 30 millimeter on the last yeah, shoot. Yeah. And I mean, for doing video stuff, those work great. I don't have any complaints with them, but I don't know. I'm just, I'm curious to see what they release, what the price point is. It's kind of hard to picture paying $4,000 for a camera, mm-hmm. which is what I expect that to cost, but. Well, I'm just going to, I'm going to keep building out this list, Daniel, and that way I can mm-hmm. remind you of all the reasons that you just really want that camera. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure that will be coming back to the show at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, just like in the same vein of topic, mm-hmm. Fuji released a video on their YouTube channel. That I didn't watch it, but you sent it to me, and man, that music sounded Japanese and very eighties. I just I want to I want to play it so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any way that we can insert that in here? <laughs> that was a lot. Anyway, did they announce anything in the video, or was it just like a announcement of the event? It was like a teaser, okay. right? So you know they they kind of talked a little bit about how great the the XS twenty was and how it's selling fantastically. Not surprising. Yeah, uh, they made sure to mention AI because, you know, that's... Well, they want their stock to go up, so... Yeah, exactly. I am curious, like, with all the AI and the autofocus stuff, I mean, Fuji is definitely trailing behind in the autofocus department compared to, like, the Canons and the Sonys of the world. And uh, I'm just, you know, would love to see them make up some ground and maybe all this, uh, this AI stuff is going to help them get there. That's a bold statement. I mean... We'll see, I guess. I, you know, Sony feels like they're pushing so hard on that with putting that extra chip in all their cameras and stuff. So I don't know, but maybe it'll help them close the gap. Anyway, so they kind of covered some of that stuff. They didn't like maybe they announced. I didn't really announce a firmware. I think there is gonna, there's going to be an XS20 firmware update that has a few a few whatever. And it doesn't matter. The big thing is that the, they announced the Fuji Summit for September, which I believe was September 12th or was it September? I think 18th? it is September 12th. I saw that too. And the rumors seemed like they were mostly around the GFX series. Is that right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Don't, confirmed. Yeah. So uh, what we're looking at potentially in is is a new GFX camera, a new GFX 100. So that's a medium format camera. Yep. So how, how expensive is the, is the current yeah. GFX 100? Okay. So the GFX 100 came out in 2019. Since then, they released the GFX 100 S, which was a kind of a worse version of the 100 not worse but like they, you know the ev they doesn't have interchangeable evf has a smaller resolution with this and that yeah lower spec but still the same 102 megapixel sensor so basically like xt3 xt30 kind of thing the gfx 100 s is like six thousand dollars the gfx 100 is nine thousand dollars or ten ten thousand i think it's like 999 that is a lot of money for a camera yep. And this that's is, no lens, right? That's just body only. That's just the body. The GFX 100 is Fuji's, like, legit, this is their flagship, top, top, top-of-the-line camera that Fuji makes. Like, mm-hmm. This this is the best camera that they make. So it's pretty exciting. Haven't seen a GFX in, like, four years. Maybe we're going to get a new GFX. Yep. Lots changed in the past four years. So Lots changed. What, what are we expecting to see on it? Okay, so, like... There's not too many rumors out yet. We're expecting more rumors to kind of come in, but I've kind of thrown a few things out there that I think maybe we might see. So it's it's right now they've been using that same 102 megapixel sensor. I think it would be interesting if they pushed a little bit. I mean, full frame sensors are getting into that. You know, the A7R5 is like 62 megapixels. Mm-hmm. Nipping at the heels. It, I mean, close. there's rumors that the EOS, uh, whatever, hold on, wait, I can do it. The EOS R1, mm-hmm. there's no D in there, it's right. just R1. There's rumors 
that that could be 90 megapixels and that Canon's just going to be like full frame 90 megapixels yeah. what's up that would be uncomfortably close to this 102 crazy the phase one which as you know is sixty two thousand mm-hmm. dollars is 150 megapixels yep. and like that's you know that's a that's a lot that's, that's a, a lot, lot of data to a read. lot of pickles it's just so many i think they're going to push it i think they're going to increase the resolution i wouldn't be surprised if they didn't but maybe it's a gfx 150 Maybe. I mean, you know, it's it's been four years, so it's possible. But it also seems like it depends on basically what what uh, sensors Sony makes that will fit. Right? So, yep. Yeah, so it's a bare sensor. Uh, Fuji says that they don't need X-Trans at 102 megapixel medium format because it's such high resolution and the sensor is so big that you just don't get the same Moray problem. So they can take out the anti-aliasing filter. Okay. And then you don't need X-Trans, which really makes it sound like they're saying that the whole micro contrast X-Trans thing is a bunch of baloney. Yeah, it kind of does. But you know, to each their own. Yeah. We, both me and you know that X-Trans is, is the one truth. So... Glad we can agree on that. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> so it's going to be a bare sensor. Whenever the GX, GFX 100 came out, it was like the first medium format 102 megapixel backside illuminated bare sensor like that, that was that big. Mm. Like it was, I mean, it's not in any other camera, right? So I'm like, maybe, and like, there was a rumor earlier this year, maybe it's stacked. Maybe they come out with a stack. That'd be crazy. It would be nuts. Because like most of the problems that you run into with medium format is read speed. Mm-hmm. The GFX has like a three second burst rate. You still get blackout whenever you take pictures. And like you can shoot video on it, but like it's like line skipping and bending in order to get a 4K image, which is like eight megapixels. And you're probably still getting really bad rolling shutter and all that. It's actually not too bad. Huh. Like you get worse rolling shutter in electronic shutter taking a picture than you do in video. <laughs> Wow. Well, that's because the video is like, how are we going to get eight megapixels of, of data off the full width of the sensor yeah, yeah. when it's a hunt anyways? So I don't know how they're going to solve that. And if it's like, I assume this one's going to be able to do video too. But there was stuff from like the GFX100 that kind of worked its way down the line. Like the XH2S has a 5.7 million dot EVF. The GFX100 was like the highest resolution EVF when it came out at the time. So it's kind of like, in some ways, it's a technology leader, mm-hmm. and we might see some stuff on there that would eventually trickle down to the rest of the yeah, lineup. that's what I'm thinking. And, like, the A1 has, like, a 9.4 million dot EVF, the Sony A1. And so I'm thinking, you know, you're at 100 megapixels. You need to have all the resolution in the viewfinder that you can get. Yeah. So maybe we get a 9 million dot EVF. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Or even higher. I mean, it, you know, I I mean, know. it seems like they, they've got the budget, probably, to put whatever... Whatever in there would make sense. So one of the big complaints about the original GFX was the the grip, the vertical grip on it was awful, and so people like loved the GFX 100s because like it had a removable grip. Not it came with no grip, and they didn't provide a one that you could add on later. And so people want the best of both worlds. They want a camera with no grip that they can add a grip onto. Sure, that's pretty common. And so that's the rumor for this one. Interesting. So things I'm hoping for is like. Give me a stack sensor. Give me a higher resolution sensor. Stacked probably more than higher resolution because that would be that'd be amazing. Mm-hmm. Like medium format is just behind full frame and a lot of like the things you get out of better read speed, autofocus performance, stuff like that. And so it would be really nice to have a stack sensor in this. So like that plus, you know, like the removal grip would be nice. Uh, battery life. That's the big one. Like you could get, you know, whatever, 300, 400 shots or something out of, out of a, maybe it is more than that. But like, Four or five hundred shots out of the original GFX, and that's on two batteries. 
I mean, the camera's so big. How can mm-hmm. they, it seem like they should be able to shove a huge battery in there? It just wasn't great on battery life. And mm-hmm. so with the new battery technology that they're using in the modern Fuji cameras, I'm hoping that yeah. the GFX100 is really good on battery life. Yeah. So those are kind of things that I'm hoping for and everything else. Like it'll probably have IBIS. It'll probably cost five figures, that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, it seems cool. I I can't ever see myself getting one of these just because I'm not serious enough about photography. I don't, I don't take photos that are going to go on billboards or anything, but what about you? I mean, do you, would you ever get something like this? Man, whenever I talk to people uh, about Fuji stuff and they're photo people, the first thing they ask is like, oh, you're going to get a, you can do like a GFX 50 or something. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not going to. <laughs> it's like, I like my APS-C cameras. I like, I shoot video. I don't, I don't really need see like my upgrade from my XH2S being a GFX because like they served totally different purposes. It, it feels like you couldn't take a GFX camera casually with you on vacation. It's like a camera that you go do photography with. Yeah, for sure. It's a uh, it's very it's very legit. Yeah, and apparently like shooting in medium format with that much resolution, you kind of have to have either really really good IBIS or shoot it on a tripod because even like the littlest amount of micro jitter is going to impact like the the resolution because of sense. how like how fine 102 megapixels is. Yeah. Which if they make the IBIS better or it's like better IBIS cool if they put a stack sensor in this thing, then you could probably shoot an electronic first curtain shutter and then you don't get the shock of the shutter. Yeah. That and would maybe help. that makes your your hand hold a little better. So like there's yeah. a lot of cool things they could do if they stick a stack sensor in this thing. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of neat. Yeah, sounds like it. I was kind of digging back into the original GFX 100 because I was like, "What? Uh, why would you even shoot medium format? Like, what's the deal?" Yeah, you get a little more dynamic range over full frame, like almost a stop, like two thirds of a stop. And then I didn't realize this, but the current GFX 100 shoots in 16 bit RAW. Oh, okay. Yeah, most cameras are 14 bit RAW, and it took it took us, you know, dragging can and kicking and screaming to go from 12 to 14 bit. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so you know, if you're probably getting some pretty good colors out of that, and like mm-hmm. you said, pretty good dynamic range. So it's just like it's like this is the this is like the cream of the crop. If you need crazy high resolution, like super super good detail, dynamic range, like all the you know the bit depth in your raw files, GFX is where it is. I mean, you can go shoot Hasselblad, but I feel like as far as lens support and all this stuff, you know, that's. Yeah. This is this is the top end as far as photo cameras. I mean, opinion. it makes it makes a lot of sense for certain uses. I mean, like mm-hmm. I said, if you're shooting stuff that's going to go, you know, be printed in huge sizes, or you want to take like a massive landscape picture or something. I mean, I can I can see a reason for it. It's just not for me. Yeah, not for me either. But I'm excited to see what they announce. Yeah, it's, it's kind of one of yeah, those, one of those stuff technology forward. leaders. They are also supposed to announce maybe a few lenses. I've been a little surprised at how slow medium format glass is. And like, sorry, not just medium format glass. I mean, I mean Fuji specifically. And I feel like one of the things that people can understand about like medium format is, oh, bigger sensor. Oh, so you can like get lower depth of field and more light. And then like you do the math on like what's the equivalent focal length for all of these lenses. And I think the fastest lens that you can buy right now from Fuji for GFX is like a 1.8 or 1.7, which is it's like basically 1.4-ish. No, like like on a full frame. Yeah, be... on a full frame. Like you, it's like point. It's like a point seven yeah. crop or whatever. So it's like it's a good lens, but it's not anything to write home about. Yeah. So it's like it's as far as you know light collection ability through the lens and accounting for you know the size of the sensor. Mm-hmm. They don't 
most of their lenses are slower than the highest end like L series glass That's from, interesting. from Canon. And I, it is interesting because like I mean it's like the depth of field is going to be yeah it will be different because like the focal the focal length is different and so like like your hundred millimeter f two is similar to like an eighty five one point four but you know like you do get a little different compression yeah and a different little zoom because you are shooting at a hundred millimeters I'm sure so like it you has, get the benefit of that I'm sure it has a certain look just like people say full frame has a certain look right over you're, APS-C you're probably going to get better like better proportions less distortion but even yeah. like once you get past 100 you start getting pin cushing instead of you know whatever the opposite of that is the fish eyeing right bowing out so yeah. i don't know i just medium format's cool i guess i haven't really seen the benefit like what's the sweet spot in sensor size yeah i think we could, we could both agree it's APS-C. super 35 man yep it's the real this is the real 35 <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, I feel like the whole camera industry is settled around full frame as being, like, the sweet spot. It seems like it. But, like, yeah. if you need higher resolution, GFX 100, Mark II, GXF1, GXF150, whatever it's going to be, September we'll 12th. S- we'll see what they announce. Would you, do you think it's going to be more or less than $10,000? I think it's going to be 10000 because I know the GFX 100 has gone down in price recently, and mm-hmm. that's, that's one of the things that has made people think that they're announcing a new one. And I think that that's a price point they probably want to try and hit. Yeah, I, I think coming in under that at like 9999 is probably really appealing. Yeah, I think so too. So we'll see. Cool. Fuji Summit. Oh, I didn't even, Daniel, I didn't even talk about things I want from the Fuji Summit. Well, we already, we, Lucas, we already got ISO on a dial. <laughs> what more do you want from Fuji? I want, come on. I want, they gave you patches, they give you embroidered you patches. You know what? You're right. I'm totally satisfied. I don't need anything. <laughs> I want more firmware updates. I feel like there's still there's still some bugs that need to work there out. There definitely are still on some their bugs. cameras, and it would be nice if we got some more firmware firmware updates. Yeah, and then I want a new lens roadmap because they they cleared out the old one, right? They they've announced or they've released all the lenses they announced. Yep, they released all the lenses they've announced, and we do not have a new lens roadmap from Fuji. Yeah. And I, I I would like to know what they're planning on coming out with, yeah. so I can I can plan my lens purchases. I mean. I'm I'm still thinking on the along the lines of like the you know what is the standard zoom, and mm-hmm. you know I've been using that Tamron seventeen to seventy the Sigma eighteen to fifty looks really good. I'd love to see Fuji release a new version of that sixteen to fifty five. Maybe yeah. maybe it would be competitive in some way that I'd want to look at that instead. Be nice to see something like that with the new linear motors mm-hmm. and IBIS or uh, OIS rather. I'd like to see them release a new sixteen millimeter. Mm-hmm. maybe you know the new eight millimeter prime was sorely needed because they don't really have anything on the wide range i mean and there's just there's a lot of stuff that we could we could get out of fuji yeah so uh we'll see that lens roadmap yeah maybe so maybe they'll uh throw x mount a bone i mean it sounds like this event's mostly going to be gfx but maybe yeah. there'll be something for x mount i mean if if at minimum they're like here's here's a lens roadmap i'm good yeah I don't need them to announce like a new a new camera or anything. Sure. Let, and I guess like they're gonna save the X one hundred V successor, which ding mentioned the X one hundred V. that's gonna be like early next that's year. That's gonna be a separate event. They're yeah, that's like do that that's either. like later. Yeah. So that's not gonna come out. I don't see them announcing any new cameras. I don't know. A new X Pro four could be cool, but otherwise they're not it's just gonna be the GFX. I think yeah. that's enough for this event. Yeah, I think so too. Cool. Cool indeed. All right, Lucas, we said last episode that we were going to talk about some DJI stuff. Yeah, Let's, and we're halfway through, uh-huh. and we haven't even gotten to it yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are more than halfway through. 
But let's talk a little bit about some DJI things. So first, let's do some follow-up on the mic. So we talked last time about some issues that we had with drift on the DJI mic. Yep. And the onboard recording was drifting a little bit from the wireless recording. And that was the only reason we noticed that is because we were getting poor wireless signal between the transmitter and the receiver. So since that time, I've done some testing. So I have some results from that. And then we've also done another shoot since then. So first on the testing, I set up my camera facing my iPad. The iPad was running a metronome so I could visually see like how, you know, like when the sound was playing. And then I had one of those DJI mics next to the iPad and I was recording both on the camera, you know, through the DJI receiver and on board to the DJI transmitter. I think using a metronome for this was clever. Yeah. I, I thought it would help because that was the best way I could think of to tell if there was any drift. And so I ran that with my first transmitter and sure enough, it had drift. So I lined it up. I got the first downbeat just directly dead on and then lined it up so that the last downbeat was dead on. And oddly, most of it was in sync, but there was a spot in the middle where it got off sync. Super weird. It's frustrating. Yeah. So I tried it again with the second transmitter because it comes with two. And the second transmitter was just fine. It, it was dead on accurate the whole time. And so I was trying to think about, you know, what, what could possibly cause this. And first off, there is a firmware update for these transmitters. And I have not yet installed that firmware update because I kind of wanted to reproduce this problem first and, you know, try and understand, like, why is it happening? And yeah. you have to wait the requisite amount of time. I mean, yeah. it, it took you six months to update your uh, Fuji camera exactly. or more from, exactly. uh, from 1.01 to 5.01. Yeah. So like maybe around Christmas, still we'll no, get these transmitters. Man, I just don't like updating firmware. Sometimes it breaks things. <laughs> Any, anyway, so what I realized is that that first transmitter, I mean, for one thing, we use that one. We've used that one for several shoots. So it's been used a lot more. But that also means that it had a lot of recordings saved in the onboard memory. I think it had like, it was about 30% full. So they hold about 15 hours of audio and it had about four hours of audio on it. So that's like barely anything. It's yeah. Like 20%. Yeah. Like, like that is, that is not enough to where I would ever think I needed to clear it. Yeah. Why would you? Yeah. And, but that was the only difference I could come up with between the two. I mean, I'd use the one more and it also had stuff saved on it. So I thought, fine, I'm just going to format this thing and try it again. So I took my first transmitter, formatted the memory, totally clear, ran it again worked just fine everything stayed in sync I, I was doing 10 minute tests and it stayed perfectly in sync for 10 minutes so if you were recording long form something like does that mean if you record over four gigs of data that on because it splits it up into two so unlike whatever the the fourth or fifth clip no oh, i guess it splits up into 30 minute segments anyways yeah, 30 minutes well whatever you get over like five hours of audio now you like all of a sudden your audio's gonna start drifting i don't know i i just i just don't know that that that's the only thing i can think of is you know either there was something corrupt in the memory i mean guess that's possible or it just as it fills up it gets unreliable i don't but know but i guess calling it drift is is too favorable because that's not the problem that's happened i guess it is like technically drift but it's like it's screwing up the sample rate yeah yeah it's it's not it's it, losing data too it, it's it's drift but it's not um it's not consistent drift right that's the that's the first problem and then yeah the second problem is that in our previous interview we recorded 
it actually did lose a word of de- of of the interview, right. which is to me that's totally unacceptable. So I need to try the firmware update and see. But even without that, we used it again on a shoot this past weekend, and we've learned our lesson. So we were running the DJI mic with both recording methods, but we also had a shotgun boomed directly overhead. Mm-hmm. We got clean audio from that, so yep. we were safe on our audio, but. I think you said during that interview we were getting signal drops on the Yeah, there wireless. was a few things. And if we even moved the transmitter or sorry, the receiver to like direct line of sight and there was one or two times where we had to say, Hey, can you can you say that again? The the mic cut out. Yeah. And I mean the the receiver is like five feet away from the transmitter in this scenario. There's there's nothing in between them, no camera in between them or anything. I mean, that's that's unacceptable. I think something something's wrong with that with that transmitter. It kind of it's kind of seeming like it because we never had the problem before, and uh, I don't know if they just like degrade over time or what. But I'm gonna have to contact DJI yeah. and see if we can get those replaced. Right, see how so. good their customer support is. We'll see. Uh, I don't know when I bought them. It's probably been over a year, so I may you know it's possible I'm just out of warranty. Has it? Uh, yeah, I can't remember when you got them either. I mean, I'll have to look it we up. We used but... them for the race thing that we did in October. Yeah. So but you're you're coming right up on it. I think it might have been September last year. You might be within the year warranty. Yeah. Oh, you know, we'll, I, we'll look I into it. But, you know, we, we kind of talked about this last time. I mean, I have a hard time trusting it. I feel like no matter what happens, like I'm not not really going to be able to rely on those things. And I'm I'm going to be looking for a better solution. Yeah, it it certainly seems seems that way. Well, we'll see. Uh, you know, I'll follow up once I've uh, talked to DJI. But you know, I guess word of warning out there to people using those. Uh, you know, don't don't rely on it for mission critical stuff that you can't record again. Yeah, for sure. More DJI. Yeah, yeah. I mean, why not? Right. So we did a little teaser on the Mavic Air three last week. I don't remember how much we talked about as far as like specs and stuff. I feel like we talked about it more than we thought we were going to. Yeah, I think so too. So like maybe we don't get too much into that. We could probably cover some of the main main bullet points here. But I'm curious kind of what are your thoughts on jo- drone Jones? What are your thoughts on drones in general right now for the market? I mean, you used to be big drone guy, ran the drone channel for a while. You've owned every every Mavic that they've made. That's not true. <laughs> But like, what what are your thoughts? I mean, Mavic Air three comes out. It seems like DJI is cranking them out more and more. They've like broadened their lineup like crazy. You got Altel and you know uh, what's what's that other brand? Sky Skydio. Yeah. yeah, you know, a lot of cool stuff happening, right? Yep. FPV is getting bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. What are your, what are your thoughts on drones? Well, today? you know, we did talk about this a little bit last week, and I mean, if I'm honest, I think it's just not all that exciting now. So the Air three seems really good, and even despite some of the downsides that you see in the specs, like the sensor being smaller than the Air 2S and stuff like that, people have been saying really good things about the image quality. The features also seem great. I mean, you get a really long flight time, you get the side sensors and all that. So, I mean, as far as drones go, it seems really, really good. And so, like, in all in all respects, we should be excited about this thing. Like, I have an Air 2S, you have an Air 2. We should both be like, dang, I really want to upgrade to this new drone. But... I don't know about you, but I just don't really feel that way about it. It's like, it's cool to see, but, and and we use our drones to get footage of things, but it just doesn't have that same unique appeal that they used to have. And I, I don't really get excited about getting drone footage in the same way. 
sometimes it's kind of nice to get like an extra little perspective when you're filming something, but I'm just not as excited about them now. I don't know. I'm kind of in the same boat, and I don't know if it's because DJI has broadened their lineup and accelerated their production schedule for like how quickly they're coming out with drones, Mm -hmm. or if certain things have like stagnated. Like for instance, if the sensor that's in the Mavic Air 3 is the same sensor that's in the Mavic 3 Mini Pro, is that what it's called? Mini Pro 3. Mini Pro 3, right. It's, it's the exact same sensor. And, you know, oh, is it, does that mean it's going to have the same image quality? DJI is like, well, it's got a different SOC, different, you know, processing and different image, whatever. And so, like, the Air 3 should have a, you know, slightly better image. But in reality, you're probably not really going to be able to tell too much of yeah. a difference. And it's just kind of like they've settled around these certain sensors and, like, they kind of do what they can do. And the, like, the, Technology as far as like object tracking and all this stuff hasn't seemed like it's gone much of anywhere. Yeah, I mean, at least not until you get up to like the Inspire. Like the Inspire 3 has that crazy like, you know, waypoint mode and stuff. I mean, some some of those things really are pushing it forward. But at the consumer level, I agree with you. Right, right. Yeah, the Inspire 3 is legitimately incredible. It's just Mm -hmm. amazing what that thing can do. But well, yeah, like down here in consumer land, I mean, since... 2019 they've released like 12 drones yeah and like their lineup has gotten crazy like they have like oh here's the mini 2 se and the mini 3 and the vada and the 3 pro and the 3 classic and like it's just they have so many drones now and i don't know why they have so many yeah it's so hard to like decipher their lineup it's like buying garmin watches (laughs) i agree i i've thought about getting a nevada i think it would be really cool to get the fpb shots Mm -hmm. that one's that one's kind of different but in terms of the regular ones i don't know i i'm as we've been talking about this, I've started wondering if maybe some of it is, you know, we've started doing bigger projects, the higher production value, we're shooting on good cameras. And I'm wondering if part of it is just that the image quality that you get out of a out of a normal consumer drone is starting to feel like a bigger and bigger gap with what you can do with like prosumer level mirrorless cameras. Because, I mean... I can tell when I look at drone footage that it just does not look as good. It's just, it doesn't. It doesn't look as good. And the sensors are, you know, basically like phone sensors, mm-hmm. you know, equivalent-ish size. And it would be cool if they were doing things like when you shoot on an iPhone, uh, if you shoot in like 4K 30, it shoots in 60 and then does computational photography to like bend down two images into one to give you 4K 30. Yeah. And so you get better quality out of that video. And like... It would be cool if we were getting stuff like that. If they can't put like bigger and bigger sensors, like if you can't stick a like a four third sensor into you know a, a even like a pro level drone like the whatever the Mavic Three Pro from Mavic Four Pro when it comes out, like maybe do some cool processing yeah. stuff. Yeah, I agree. And I guess like you're fighting something. battery and weight and all mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But it would be cool if like they were pushing even the computational photography portion of the video pipeline. Yeah, I agree. Because I'm kind of at the point where it's like, if if I had access to an Inspire 2 or an Inspire 3, I would love to use that for projects. And I think we'd be able to do cool stuff with that. It'd be but super cool. With a regular drone, I'm like, you know, besides taking it on vacation, getting some cool shots that way, or maybe for like a casual vlog or something, it's just not that exciting to me anymore. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me kind of run through a few of these things on the Air 2, Air 3. Jeez. Just kind of, you know, maybe what's new about it from the Air 2, Air sure. 2S. See, see if anything stands out to you. So it has a smaller sensor than your drone, the Air mm-hmm. 2S, but it has two. And you have, they have a 70 millimeter lens that's like 2.8. It's a 1 over 1.3 sensor. And then you got the 24 that's uh, 1.7-ish, yeah. right? So decently fast, decent noise performance. 
I think the add of the 70 millimeter is really nice. I do it, like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you, uh, if you use their like, you know, master shot modes, it doesn't even use the 70 millimeter. Yeah, it still that, does digital weird, zoom. That's a weird thing. I don't understand that part. Does your drone, the 2S, do the digital zoom thing where you can like zoom in like continuously while shooting video? I don't know if it does or not because I basically never use digital, digital zoom on any camera when it's an option. I feel like if I want to do it in post, I can, but I'm not going to ever use it on the camera. I do like in like the mod, mod, more modern cameras now, like the ZVE1, where it's like we know that if we shot one-to-one pixels, I guess the ZVE1 isn't like this, but... We're like cameras that have a 6K sensor. We can you can you can oversample 6K down to 4K, or you could shoot one to one 4K. And so let's sure. let's drop the bin down and let you digitally. Yeah, zoom that's in. that's different because it's like it's a digital zoom, but you're not losing data. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really cool. Be cool if you could do that. I mean, like the same sensors are small, so small though that like whenever you crop in that much, you, you like like yeah. the ISO performance is just gonna tank. Yep. Which is that's my problem with Air Two is like I can't shoot above ISO 200. Or else the image looks like a A7S3 at ISO 3200, <laughs> which is to say garbage. A7, just, A7 III before I, all the people Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. A7 III. <laughs> A7S3 is perfect. We all know. A7 III. Whew. Yeah. Okay. Close call. 6,000 foot max takeoff height. Yeah. Yeah. That is a little bit higher than they had before. And I mean, if you live up in the mountains or something, that's, higher, that's a nice improvement. It's higher than an Inspire with yeah. the standard props. Yep. The you can you can angle up that front camera up to sixty degrees now. Pretty cool. Was fifteen before. Yeah, so that's, that's a big difference. That's nice. That's yeah. a nice nice increase. It's their fastest rising and falling drone now, ten meters per second up and down. So you know a lot more power on those props. Mm. It seems. Yeah. And you know that's reflective to like the the max speed that it can go. And it seems like you know the active track is still basically what it was before. You can active track. You know maybe up to like 15, 20 miles an hour. I think I did see that they added some kind of like limited waypoint ability. Yes, they did add that. So Which you can nice. fly a path and then you can have it repeat the path. It's yeah. not going to be as good with like the whatever, the RT, whatever transmission system sure. that has like the extra point like the Inspire does, but it's going to be close. A, a lot of people maybe don't know this, but even on, on older DJI drones, like the Air 2, for example, you can use third-party apps to control it. And I can't, I can't remember what the name of that thing was, but there is an app that lets you do waypoints on those older ones. But it's nice that it's built in now. Yeah, it's called uh, Litchi. Is the one that I've used before. Litchi. Yeah, and yeah, you can you can use it to program a flight path and yeah. then have it repeat the flight path. So this is nice that they're starting to build that in. Sure. And they added sensors on the sides, which the Air Two didn't have before. And so maybe you can like have a little more confidence in letting it fly and do these after active tracks where you can't really see where it's going. If you know that it's relatively clear in the drone, will yeah, you know, save it's, itself it's kind of not as likely to slam into a tree or something. So yeah, exactly. So, you know, all pretty good. Your drone has D log. They yeah. took it out and put in D log M. And I don't understand why DJI can't sort out what they're doing with their log profiles. I think from what I've heard, I think there is a firmware update for the Air 2S that might remove D-Log and replace it with D-Log M. Uh, so your whole don't upgrade your firmware actually is starting to make a lot of sense. Just saying. I just, I don't understand. Like I have D-Cine like on mine mm-hmm. and then you have like D-Log and this has D-Log M and I don't like, it seems none like, of them are real like log profiles. It seems it's just like their flat rec 709 profiles. It seems like D-Log M is a little bit less flat than D-Log. And so 
you know, from their perspective, it's like, well, this is good because it doesn't require as much color grading to get a good image because they know what people are going to do is shoot in that profile, not grade it and just post it. And so maybe it looks a bit better. But like my thing is, if you're going to offer something that has log in the name, it needs to be as flat as possible. Like you need to make it so flat that nobody would use it on accident and it just gives you the maximum dynamic range that you can actually grade it. I don't know. It's just this frustrates me. I'm like looking up what color space D log M is in and it's rec 709. So to get these results from D log M, you have to edit it in rec 709. Right. Color space is for, I'm sorry. I'm like reading the internet now. Cause like, as far as I understand D log M is, is not, it's not like rec 2020. It's not something like that's the whole point of shooting in log is like, you're shooting in a broader color space. You're shooting in a wider gamma. Mm -hmm. And like, so you have this really flat image and then you convert it down and you get all the benefits of it. But if it's just Rec. Seven Hundred Nine, like why? Why am I even doing this? Yeah. Like I guess it like it helps save some of the highlights and the shadows. I, yeah, but I guess even so. still, like you're gonna yeah. have to like stretch the footage and apply all the contrast and. It just it doesn't it doesn't do anything to help the issue I was saying before, where the drone footage just looks noticeably worse than what you shoot yeah. with your normal camera. Yeah, for sure. It's I don't know. Like nice that they give you the option of something flat, so you do have a little bit of flexibility. But yeah. like it seems like they're clearly just you know hamstringing this thing to you know, sell, sell the other drones. It kind of feels that way. Especially with like the whole taking D log out of the air two S. Yeah. I I think that's true. I'm not positive on that, but I'm pretty sure I saw something about that. So yeah. Either way. Regardless. Yeah. Can shoot HLG. It can shoot 4k 100, which I thought was a weird number. That's a weird number. I was curious what you thought about that. I, I haven't personally seen much benefit to shooting slow motion on a drone. I feel like for the most part, it's a wide angle shot. And wide angle stuff really doesn't look that good in slow motion. It no. also generally pushes the bit rate to the limit to where like the footage looks even worse. And so that's kind of a downside. I guess the only use of this is if you're shooting on, I, I'm assuming this is supported on that 70 mil lens, but right. I guess if it you're is. using that and you're like getting somebody going off a ski jump or something like that's the only case I could see using it, but it just feels super niche. I do think that, yeah, along the long lenses could look cool. I for the American market, well, I don't even know what you would divide that by to get your 24P or even your 30. Like, neither of those divide into 100. Yeah. It's like you have to deliver in 25P if you have this drone. <laughs> I, it's, it's like the only thing that divides into it four times. So it, It's your pal. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was a little weird. It, it seems like the 4K100 is decent and that the 1080 200 is garbage yeah I, as, as it often is yeah i mean it's it's terrible on the air too as well it's just i don't know like this drone is usually whenever i'm flying a drone it's like i can fly smooth enough that 4k 60 is as much slowdown as i need i mean maybe i'll drop yeah. it like 40 percent. that's gonna like get me where i need to go but like the gimbals are good and like you can program the flights and you can get the movement and the motion that you need out of it without doing it in slow motion unless you're trying to capture i guess like if like if it's something fast like you're trying to capture a car or someone like doing a ski jump or some whatever and you want to slow that down i guess that makes sense i agree maybe i'm just not capturing cool enough stuff i think that's what it is it's the same reason you haven't been able to buy a gopro you just don't live an extreme enough life this is what it is yeah yeah so it just goes it goes back to the top right if we were putting ourselves in positions where we could get 16 millimeter photos of bears then also it would make sense to own a GoPro or a DJI Osmo 4 or a drone that can shoot 120 frames per second, which I, is not this drone. 
I can't disagree with that. Yep. Makes all sense. Exactly right. Did you know the new charging packs for this thing? You can, like, it's the same, like, you put all three of the batteries in, you can charge it, but you can have two of the batteries charge one of the batteries. I saw that. That is a, that is a super clever feature. Cause like, I, I was impressed when I saw it. Usually whenever you're like, I'm going to fly, I'm going to fly one battery and I'm going to land and it's going to have 20% or something yep. like that. You're not going to fly it out to zero. Yep. And then you do it with the next one. And then you do the next one, and now you have three batteries that are like twenty five percent or something. And and you've gone on that trip, and you've had to take your charging cord with you because you're like, well, what if I want to fly a fourth time? Sure, sure. Well, now you can be like, hey, two batteries, give it up, put it in the third battery, and now yeah. you have one battery at seventy five, and you with a forty six minute fly time, you can fly for another half an hour. Really cool. Super cool. I was really into that. Yeah. It has a new controller, and this drone is not compatible with the old controllers. Oh. That's nice. Yeah. So you like basically have to get a new controller with this. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, most people when they buy it are going to buy a controller anyway. Well, yeah. I mean, and you it, should buy it does, fly more. So. And it does support that uh, that controller with the screen, which is honestly, that controller with the screen is probably the biggest improvement DJI has made it made in their drones in the past few years. Yeah. No, I would totally agree. Yeah. So other than that, I mean, like it's a DJI drone. Yeah. It's cool. All yeah. that stuff. I took a minute to think about like what do I want out of a drone? Like, mm-hmm. what would make drones interesting again oh, for me? I'm, I'm curious to hear this. Okay. And so I feel like I want, I just, I want, I want better cameras. Like I want bigger sensors, l- lower noise, ISO performance. Like not that I'm going to shoot in the dark, but like I said, my air two ISO yeah. 200, basically unusable. Yeah. If you're shooting, you know, ISO 1600 on your Fuji, you should be able to get a usable drone image in that same condition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like give me a bigger sensor or like, start like do more like computational photography stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I guess I want better images out of drones. I agree with and that. So like future drone, just, just more mo better, please. Yep. Other thing that I want is uh, for it to be okay to crash a drone. I just, I just want to be able to that? safely crash it. Why, what, what are you doing where you're going to crash your drone? Well, that's what I'm thinking is like, you know, right now you have to be like, they're this delicate thing and you got to like fly in a certain way. I feel like for me, I would use a drone more if I could just be like, okay, drone, go into the air and get the footage. Go get the footage over there. And it can like use AI to be like, that's a dog. I should get pictures of that dog or whatever. Or like I can set the flight path and it will just go do its thing. And then it could like crash and it would be okay. Yeah. Or I could feel like I could fly it inside mm-hmm. and run it into a wall. And it's just not going to be a big deal. Like yeah. it's going to like hit the wall and then fall down and it'll be fine. And you're going to need some prop guards or something on this thing because you're going to cut somebody up. Otherwise. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying is like if there was a way that, you know, it was light enough and had enough safety things as far as like prop guards and sensors and all that stuff where it's like if you run into a wall or like you run into a tree or something, it's not going to be catastrophic. Yeah. Then you could do more interesting things where you're not worried about like crashing it because right. it's okay to crash it. You always see those th- like in sci-fi movies, you see them like pull the little drone out of their pocket mm-hmm. and they just like throw it in the air and it goes and does its thing. Yeah. And yeah, that'd be cool. I just like that I think that's interesting. And I know it's like, you know, maybe this stuff we're just not there yet or like maybe yeah. it'll never happen and it's like, oh, the technology is just not good enough, but like these are the kind of things that I think would be neat in drones. Yeah. Is that I could see myself using it more if I was like oh, I can get this shot or like I can try to get this shot and I don't have to worry about wrecking a $1,000 drone yeah. or a $2,000 drone That's or fair. whatever. Like it'll just be fine if I fail. Yeah. So I think that would be cool. It'd be cool if they were quieter, which uh-huh. like I don't even know if you get there, but if it's like you don't worry about crashing it and it's quiet, like maybe you could fly it indoors. That'd be cool. I know you can fly like FPV stuff indoors and that's already a thing, but you know, something that can fly itself. Yeah. 
So I don't know. Better that's it. That's it. Like safer to crash, better camera, and then like the Skydia thing's really cool. Like let's get more AI recognition stuff. It's like you have that new security system that can be like, that's this is how many dogs walked past yep. your your front yep. porch, which is just ridiculous. <laughs> and I'm like, why can't we start using things? you know, all this new technology in drone stuff. So it can recognize like that's a person and then it can track it. Better. Yeah. I agree with you, but I also have bad news for you. What's up? Just recently announced Skydio is no longer in the consumer market. Whoa. They're only making commercial drones now. Yeah. Well, the market wasn't big enough. DJI is just too good. They're just, they're just, they're just too yeah. good. They like, just own it. And like, but that's yeah. the problem It's like DJI doesn't, it feels like DJI doesn't have any strong competition. They own like 65, 70% of the market. And it's like they don't have to make their tracking and their automatic flying stuff that much better every time. I agree. And yeah. now they're like, we got to be like Apple and release a new drone every year. Yep. And so now it's, it's like, well, you know, there's just like not any innovation between the drones. Yeah. And they're just going to keep using the same technology because they're on this like super fast roadmap. I, I agree with everything you said. I mean, for me, the image quality feels like the the biggest glaring point. Like when I think about why I don't want to use it on the projects we shoot, it's it mostly comes down to that. It's just I don't think it's going to pair well with the cameras. And maybe that says more about us that we've invested more in our like handheld camera setups than we have in the drones. I mean, I think that's true. Sure. But. I don't know. I mean, it just that that feels like the shortcoming for using these for serious well, work. Yeah, like you, we could get a lot better image out of like a Mavic Three Pro Cine or whatever. Uh, yeah, maybe, but I mean, what but it, it's not like you know, that much better. It's yeah. not like two thousand dollars better image. It's you know maybe thirty percent better mm-hmm. kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, I agree that you know the image quality really could be improved. Like I'm saying, it could be improved. I don't know. Like this is really hard. Like these things fly themselves. It's insane. It would be nice if we had better image quality. Yeah. We, one of the things that we did this summer, we were able to start and end like a recap video with drone footage. Mm-hmm. And it felt like having that footage just like, just brought it up like one more level. It did. It, 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 it was very well received. Yes. And it really helped the video. A lot of compliments of like, oh, wow, we haven't had those kind of shots before. Wow, this is really cool. And it, like made it just yeah. It was just this really great feeling of like big and wide and like, look how exciting this is. And like, you can't get that any other way. Yeah. And so like, it's, there's, there's a, is a key component of our workflow of like the things that we shoot. There are going to be times where we need drone shots and I don't know. I just wish it was better. Yeah. Me too. Maybe someday it will be. All right. Are we, are we, are we there, Daniel? I, yeah, I think we've, uh, we've covered quite a bit of camera gear today. So let's go ahead and call it there. Oh my gosh. We're, but with Daniel, like we're at an, we're at an hour, not even including the pre-show. <laughs> oh my gosh. We, we haven't talked about, we haven't talked about the Osmo and I was going to talk about color grading. Yeah. We had a, we had a whole topic on like how we planned that last shoot with our iPads. Oh, and we, I was that's really, on here? I was really looking forward to talking about that. So that's going to have to go next week. Oh, geez. We're just going to move a lot down. Yeah. All right. Next time. All right. Well, we'll call it there for today. That's it for the show today. Thanks for joining us. And if you liked it, tell a friend so they can check it out too. You can find out more about the show at www.cameragearpodcast.com. And you can find us on Twitter at Camera Gear Pod. We'll be back with more next week. <laughs>